Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you, your family and work can thrive. My name is Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals, and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling, and full of joy. And today I've got some amazing news. You can now order your very own version of the Joy of Being book, supporting hardworking mums to stress less and live more. If you're the type of mum who is struggling with the burdens of motherhood or modern day life, then this will be a perfect book for you. If you're curious, you want to know more and you want to see what's up with that book, you can do so at www.marinapearson.com slash order. And on today's show, I have the beautiful Liz Scott. Liz and I met about three or four years ago now at a conference in London and I immediately felt very drawn to her and her amazing energy. Liz is uh, one of the founders of Inner Compass. She's a coach that works with leaders, children and teenagers and educators across Southwest. And she also is now leading a three-month wellbeing initiative in a local town in the South Hams. She's co-created a wellbeing hub for schools in Exeter and has been instrumental in developing wellbeing ambassadors in communities and schools across Devon. Now Liz used to be a BBC reporter, uh, which I didn't know, and she loves podcasting. She's a prolific blogger and is currently writing a book. She also loves walking the moors, playing the saxophone and enjoys cooking. And the conversation that we had today was fascinating because actually it took me to in a direction that I didn't expect. I actually didn't know about the project that she was running, but I loved how fresh it was and who she's supporting and how it's emerging. Um, and really with a focus on the fact that we've actually got the resilience inside of us already and that we are resilient, even if we don't know it. So this is a very different take because, of course, we think that resilience is something we need to build on. We think that if we uh, don't work on it, we'll lose it. But we've got some good news for you. That's actually not the case. The case is that we're already resilient and we'd just forget it from time to time. So it's a very inspiring, very fresh conversation and perfect for you if you have a teen, uh, younger adults in your midst or even if you're just a parent uh, or human being, in fact. Uh, So enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Uh, On today's show, I have the beautiful Liz Scott. Sunny, uh, Liz and I think we've been attempting to get this sorted for about a month or so. Um, (laughs) Maybe even six weeks. Um, Who knows? But um, between one thing and another, we're finally here having this conversation. Um, and I'm very excited to be having this conversation. Slightly different angle to what I usually talk about, which is the person um, in the sense of like what they've gone through. But I should say, I really wanted to focus on what Liz has, her work and, and where it's taken her and what she's seen and what, how she, you know, what she, who she's worked with has seen as well. Um, and more about that when she, when I give her a chance to speak. Welcome, Liz. <laughs> Hello. Lovely to be here, Marina. <laughs> So, Liz, you and I met, gosh, somewhere, sometime in the past. I think it must have been on 
Jamie's day of humanity and experience, I think, something along those lines. And I was really impacted by what you'd done with your husband, Stu, and where you'd taken this understanding and what you were doing with it. And so I'd love to start there, really. You know, um, nothing like actually getting someone else to promote what they do and share what they do. So go for it. Okay. Where have you taken this and what have you been up to in the world? Yeah, well, it's a really great question because recently um, it it feels like it's getting even more clearer for me. And and so I'll tell you where we are at the moment with it all. We we call ourselves in a compass. That's that's what we describe as our business. And we're just about to move to a community interest company. Because the thing that we are really inspired by is community. And, and when I talk about community, I talk about we all live in a geographical community, but we have workplace communities, we have online communities, we have hobby communities. In the village I live in, there's a kind of a dog walking community. It's almost like I, I see these communities as sort of overlapping sort of circles. And I am really um, inspired by communities that are founded on well-being because ultimately I see that when a community is founded on well-being, it's almost like the compost to grow thriving young people. It's, it's, It's the soil in which we want to get right so that our young people can really flourish. So whilst ultimately my eye is always on providing a really healthy space for young people to grow up, um, I'm very aware that in order to do that, it's about working with the adults, particularly the adults that support our young people, whether it's in schools or in clubs or um, as parents, but it's about supporting them to see well-being and resilience, what, it, what that really means, and ultimately then to be able to pass that on to young people so they can actually connect with their own well-being and resilience. So the work we do at the moment is very, very much focused on the community when you because sh- there are two questions in that for me the first one is what does well-being in the community actually mean because that sounds beautiful and I think I understand it but I would love you to unpack that because yeah I you know for somebody that's listening and they might be going on what what does well-being actually mean mm. what, what what does it mean to her anyway yeah, yeah so I guess um I'm, I'm running a project. Let me tell you about this sort of experiment I'm running in my local geographical community called Ivy Bridge. And we live on the southern edge of Dartmoor. And Ivy Bridge is a community. It's got probably got about 16,000 people uh, that live here. It's probably known as a dormitory town. A lot of people live, live in and around Ivy Bridge, um, but they tend to sort of starburst out to, to work and then come back. Uh, to sleep here at night. So the community itself is, it's not a pretty community. It's, it's not, it's, you know, it's got empty shops. It's a very practical community. You'd go there to do a supermarket shop to see the doctor, to go to the dentist, you know, it's that kind of community. Um, but you wouldn't, if you thought, oh, I want to go and mooch around and have a cup of coffee somewhere, you wouldn't go to Ivy Bridge. There, there are other sort of prettier places that you'd be attracted to. Anyway, so I thought to myself, I would love to really look at Ivy Bridge as a, a space that we could create a, a, a community um, that's founded on well-being. It seemed like a, a lovely idea. And then I was like, but I've no idea what that means, a bit like the question you've asked and, and how to go about it. 
So what I did is in January, I started a, a 12-week experiment or a three-month experiment. So we're, at, we're coming to the end of February as we're doing this conversation and the experiment will finish at the end of March 2020. And the experiment so far, it has, has just been about engaging in my community. And so what I've done is I've um, uh, found a, a very thriving Facebook group, which is based on, uh, you know, with people talking about things in the community. And I've, I've posted a few questions there. And very quickly, what I've learned is that there are an extraordinary number of people doing wonderful work in the community. There are lots of support groups. There are lots of community groups. There are lots of community leaders who are taking these groups and um, they provide resources, crafts, singing, karate for the veterans. There are church groups, toddler groups, breastfeeding groups. There are library groups, memory groups. You know, there's, there's health groups, Weight Watcher groups. There's so many different groups in the community. And over the last two or three weeks of this project, I've actually gone out and spoken to, I call them our unsung heroes. So what I've discovered um, by speaking to these unsung heroes, and I've, I've done some little podcast interviews with them as well, is that the, the thing that they all know intuitively, and, and they do it intuitively, is that they provide a really safe space, whatever thing they actually do, but they provide a really safe space for people to come together and connect. And then what seems to happen is that people come together in this space and it kind of just self-regulates in a healthy way. Because what happens is when you get people together in a safe space, they kind of just support each other. It's like that's an in intuitive um, quality that we all seem to have when we're, when we're in the right environment. So I... I really see that supporting the people that support these groups is, is an area that could really support well-being in my community, which is a long, long way around to answering your question. But what I'm really seeing is that the thing that, two things really, with the people that support these groups, the group leaders, one is that they think that it's what they do or what their group does that has people access well-being. It's like they need to do that. They need to do yoga. They need to come to a toddler support group. They need to do karate in order to then feel well-being. So that's, that's the one misunderstanding we see. And the second thing I really see with these group leaders is that they are driven by wanting to support others, but ultimately they're feeling quite worn out themselves because they're, they feel like they're the ones that have to give, give, give and are almost frightened to say no because they know that they're, they're the last safety net. And if, if their group says no, then people are going to fall through the cracks. So the two things I see as, as a way of really supporting well-being in, in my local community is one is helping these, these group leaders see two things. One is that they're already intuitively doing something which is working really well. And the missing piece that they don't quite realize is that whatever activity anyone's doing, it's a catalyst for, for their own well-being to emerge. So, so it's, it's not on the group leader to create well-being in the person that comes to their group, which takes a lot of responsibility out of the equation. Hmm. 
And the other thing that I really would love uh, the group leaders to see is that they too um, have access to constant well-being themselves. They they are. I mean, then this this obviously is going to be part of the conversation we probably have too when it comes to the young people. But it's it's them touching base with their own well-being and resilience because. When you touch base with your own well-being and resilience, you can't help but see it in others and point it out in others. And it really does somebody uh, something for somebody when they realize that well-being is constant. It's not transient. It doesn't come and go. So for me, at the moment, as I'm seeing this experiment unfold, I really see that I could be of service to those community leaders and really support them in those two areas. One is that they start to realize it's not on them to give people well-being. And secondly, for them to realize themselves that they are sitting in well-being themselves. And that is, is something for them to, well, we call it get back in touch with your inner compass, really start to see for themselves again. And then what I really see is that in all of what's going on, ultimately this will ripple out to, to provide um, a healthy space to raise our young people it's almost like this it's all it's all to the same aim so that's that's what i'm experimenting with and i have a sense that's the direction it will take but who knows where it will go that seems to be the direction at the moment what a really cool project i love that so new and fresh and um such a really cool angle that you're you're taking i've never really heard anybody do this before and so i know that this must have come from somewhere other than um, your usual thinking. Um, <laughs> um, it was like, hmm, curious. Yeah, it's interesting. Today I gave a talk at a mums in business group here in Javier. And I was sharing about confidence and where it comes from and where it doesn't, you know, that we don't have to have all this self-belief stuff. And I came across the slide that, that I used in 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 in. The, the presentation it was funny because something really struck me was that as I was presenting the slide I got really excited by the slide like really excited um and I've seen that slide so many times but yeah I saw it really differently today and what it was was the psychological system that we have that's already there just like we have a respiratory system or that we have a immune system that we have a um you know, gut system. We just have all of these systems inside of us that we know about. But it's interesting to me because the psychological system for most people in that space today was new. The psychological system that already is working, um, you know, the power of thought. And then basically we have different thoughts that come through that power of thought. And then we have a feeling and then it just repeats itself. That's just how it works, right? And I was just like, wow, we're mentally healthy already, whether we know it or not. That's just going on, regardless of whether we know that. Um, and so I just got, I, I, don't, I don't know, I just really wanted to kind of, I, I, as you were talking, <laughs> that slide came up for me again. And I was like, wow, it just gets so overlooked because it's bloody invisible. Yeah. And I think we a lot of people have a lot of ideas about mental health and that it's something that needs to be fixed or there needs to be some conceptual intervention in order for it to function well. And, and um, 
that's often what I experience when I when I speak to people that haven't come across the inside out understanding is that there's a there's a sense that it's very complicated mm. and um I guess for me part of what I really want people to see is the simplicity of what we're talking about it, it gives us really good information uh we in the UK for example in schools there's some really um the statistics around mental uh, illness amongst teachers and, and young people is quite frightening, and I can't reel them off off the top of my head right at the moment, but it, it's really alarming. And one of the things that I find is very simple is that people are living in a symptom of distress, but that symptom of distress is actually a, a sign to let you know that you're your your mental health natural balancing system is 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 kind of wanting to do its thing is wanting to to recalibrate and settle down again and it's giving you clues that you're overthinking that you're mentally exhausted and 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 partly when you talk about the psychological system you know the psychological system will give you clues in the same way that when i run up a flight of steps my my breathing system, my respiratory system will give me some clues that I just need to catch my breath and slow down. And it, it makes me feel slightly uncomfortable in order for me to do that. And, and our psychological system is, is providing the same function, but we don't read it in the same way. And instead, we metaphorically, we try and push it up another flight of steps thinking I should be able to overcome this distress. And, and I want people to, to start listening back in, actually to what their system is is actually pointing them towards. And it's different for everybody. Sure. It just reminds me of the sort of, you know, fuel gauge in the car. If you don't know that the fuel gauge is letting you know that the petrol's running out versus it telling you that the car's going to break down. And you're like, oh, my God, my car's going to break down, as opposed to actually, no, it's just letting me know that I need to get some more fuel. Yeah. If you don't know what that gauge is telling you, then it could be telling you all sorts of things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely so what you know I know that when we first started this conversation um you'd been working with with uh, those that work with young with the young and I'm curious about what you've seen through that and what they've seen through that so um you were working with teachers and head teachers is that right We've done a lot of work with uh, teachers and head teachers, and um, we have also um, run um, groups with young people, uh, different ages, uh, primary school youngsters and secondary and some that are in college. Um, We've also run a conference um, called Resilient Young Minds. That was 18 months ago now, looking at the resilience of the psychological system with young people. Um, and that was uh, extraordinary. So we do have a, a we're very drawn to often working in education uh, with those that support young people. And more recently, as, as our business is sort of ch- taking a slight change in direction, we're looking to see if we can support some groups, charities and uh, other organizations that support young people, too. But that's that's aspirational and, and it hasn't quite taken uh, root yet we're still sort of in transition there Hmm. 
And um, as a result of the work that you've done, um, you know, you talk about resilience. What does it mean, actually? We, it seems like this is this big buzzword that's going on. <laughs> yeah. And I think we kind of understand it to a certain extent, but what does resilience actually mean is, to you? Mm, to you? me, yeah. Well, it's really interesting because I was speaking at a conference yesterday and, and uh, the title of my talk was Wellbeing and Resilience and looking at it in a slightly different way because the, the, the conference was um, full of people that hadn't come across the inside-out understanding at all. So this was, this was me sort of talking about resilience and well-being as, as I saw it and just kind of putting across this idea that the psychological system is self-correcting and that well-being and resistance is at the core of who we are. So that was my... And uh, we had a breakout session. Uh, so that it was probably about 20-plus people in the breakout session and one of the questions somebody asked me was, uh, well, what is resilience? And it was really interesting because I went a bit of a head, head spin, really, because I thought, oh, shit, you know, sorry for the language, but no, you know, that's, that's, a really good, um, that's a really good question. Um, I've just done a talk on well-being and resilience, and <laughs> I haven't really got a, an answer that I can just sort of spout out in a knowledgeable way because for me I have a real felt experience of what resilience is and I can see that in others but I hadn't really in that moment got the words to articulate it Mm. so funny enough I've been thinking about resilience quite a lot over the last 24 hours thinking what heck is it you know I know I know what it is for, for me, but w- how might I describe that to different people, depending on how, you know, their level of understanding of the inside out understanding. So that, that's been a real question for me. And, and I kind of came up with, in fact, I was just scribbling some notes down. Let me just see, see what I wrote down. So yeah, so there's, I, I think that there are three stages to my journey around resilience. Mm-hmm. Okay. So first of all, I used to see resilience as something that needed to be built or protected. Mm-hmm. And, and I trained as a counsellor back in um, uh, the, the year 2000. And I've done loads of different courses and NLP and Uh, coaching courses and meditation and mediation courses and I I read loads and loads of books like I've always been interested in psychology so in that phase of my life I really saw that resilience was something that we could do something about and you needed to kind of use it or lose it kind of thing and and build it up And, and that's very much what I saw for myself it was almost like if I don't work on my resilience or my confidence or self-esteem or however, whatever language you want to, to call it, I'm going I'm to lose it. So for me, that's, that was very much what resilience was. And as I see it, that, that's kind of the definition that many people I come across see as resilience. It's, 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 it's a quality that you might lose if you're not careful. So you, you, you need to do something about it. and then. Probably about five, six, seven years ago, I started to shift my understanding of resilience. 
And I began to see that resilience was almost like part of my psychological DNA. Hmm. So resilience became like, oh, um, actually, I don't need to chase resilience because I, Liz, am resilient. So resilience is, is part of who I am. And, and, uh, and I just need to recognize that. How did and you see that? How did I know that? Yeah, what was the shift? What did you see that got you to see that? Well, the shift for me was um, in, in, in seeing the question differently in so much as looking back on my life and seeing that resilience had shown up every single time I needed it, every, in every single circumstance, I had had a burst of resilience that helped me take the next step. So for me, it was like, oh, it was there. It's always been there. Um, and and it, it, it would occur in ways, and this is, this is my definition now of resilience, is, is much maybe broader than people, like the bounce back ability from, from hardship, physical or psychological hardship. R- resilience is, it will show up in so many different ways. So for example, when I, Stu and I, we love bike cycling and we've done some long distance bike rides. And I remember that there were occasions on those bike rides when I would be close to tears because I was so tired or I was finding it very hard. Now, resilience always showed up. In a, when I look back on those bike rides, it always showed up. So, for example, I remember one day um, we were we were really struggling on the, on the Pennines, going through the Pennines. And I, was fine, and I kind of thought, my God, I'm gonna, we're going to be doing this for the rest of my life at this rate. It's like the slowest cycling I've ever done. And, and resilience popped into my system in that instance. It's like an insight of like, like, how can I see this differently? I fell out of that busy thinking and I was like, oh, I can see what we can do. We were trying to avoid the major, the major city, but actually I think we need to go to the major city. So it was almost like it was a, a fresh burst of seeing things differently and finding a way through what was um, a very troubling situation. And then on another situation, on the same bike ride, it was pouring with rain. It was, it was chucking it down with rain. So it was just so wet. It was unbelievable. And at this point of the bike ride, we were heading through Lancashire. And we, we were so drowned and cold. And we couldn't stop because we'd get too cold. And we had to keep going to the bed and breakfast. And the cars were spraying us. And, and Stu, I'd just seen a van go right close to Stu. And he'd been absolutely like a tidal wave of water had gone over him from this puddle. And um, I remember looking up at the side, a, a sign on the road. And somebody had graffitied it from um, Lancashire, a place where people matter, to a place, a place where people natter. And for some reason, this just... I couldn't stop laughing. It was like, and I, I still laugh now. And I don't, it's not even that funny. But in that moment, it was like resilience kind of gave me something that had me keep going. And, and I, I, it, it's not how I would imagine resilience to show up. So to answer your question, it, it, it's, it's always showing up in different ways. So, <clears throat> so there's the, one way of seeing resilience is that it's, something you need to build and protect. And then I was like, oh no, it's, it's actually something that I can see is in my system. And I had, my life is littered with examples of that. And I could see it in other people really clearly. And then I guess what I'm beginning to see um, or explore more now is, is 
it's not so much that I, Liz Scott, am resilient and, and you, Marina, are resilient and my husband, Stu, is resilient. It's, it's like there is an energy of resilience and well-being of which we are made, all of us. Mm. And it's almost like the thread that connects us all. It's not like I've got my own core of resilience and you have. It's like there is this energy behind life that is resilience and we are made from it. Now, that is, that is a very deep felt experience for me, which is hard to articulate in some situations. But I would say that is how I now am exploring resilience. I love that. Um, I love your trajectory with it as well. And I love the insights that you've had. And because I, I'm sure that anybody that's listening in that it's still on the sort of first one, which is we build resilience and this is how you stay resilient. It's really effortful. Like it's, it's frightening. Uh, it's full of, yeah, because you're like, I might, I could lose it at any moment um, and, and misplace it and not know where I put it. Yeah. And then what? Um, versus we're resilient already. We're made of it. Um, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so, I guess I go back to this, which is, you know, we talk about that among ourselves, but yet you've seen this also, not just in you, me, your Stu, but in everybody, um, the, the people that you've worked with and, and also the, the young. And so, um, because we as adults can have a lot of thinking around what the young are, uh, what they're not made of, what they are made of, um, this stage of their growth is this, you know, teenagers are that. I mean, oh, like I'm, I've, I've got a partner right now, but right now, like we're together and he's got a 13 year old daughter. And of course it's like, I can hear him create these stories around, well, when you turn 13, that's what happens. And um, it looks really real. Like I, I kind of got to get into it too. So I guess this 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 conversation is kind of really pointing to doesn't matter what age you are right like um so so for those of you <laughs> she's nodding her head <laughs> oh yeah sorry <laughs> i forget yeah, yeah, radio. No. i should know better as a former radio <laughs> reporter but yeah sorry <laughs> and um I'm curious about that because, of course, you've been working with the, you've worked with the, the teachers and that sort of thing. So, because um, any parent listening to this, any mum that's listening to this that just have a team, for example, um, you know, is often, well, the teen's a difficult age. And I, I just kind of would love to explore this conversation as in, like, is that true? Is it not? Is there, a, is there has there been a th- common thread? Do we need to look beyond that? I don't know, like something, something's kind of caught my curiosity around this. Yeah, I don't know. There may not even be a question of what I'm asking you or not asking you. Well, I'll speak anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I was um, running out of things to say. <laughs> um, because it's, I think I, with the work that I've done with young people um, and I've, I've spent time with young people um, year, um, four and five, so they're probably about nine, ten years old. That's probably the youngest we've we've sort of been working with, and 
we've worked up with uh, youngsters that are studying for their A-levels. So we, we've sort of spanned in, with small numbers. I have to have a caveat with that, with small numbers, the youngsters. But what I see um, in the work that I've done so far is youngsters see it really quickly. because What's the it you're referring to, actually? Yeah, they, they, what they see is they, they start to see really quickly that they are, they are resilient, they are well-being, they, that, that's who they truly are. Um, we talk about true nature, and we often use um, a metaphor of either the, the sunshine like as the as the constant with the with the weather system passing in front of it, or we use a the metaphor of a diamond that can get covered in poo, like the poo of our what we think we are, which is not who we truly are. Mm-hmm. And and young people seem to see this, in my experience, much more quickly than adults. And and my hunch is that we we as adults probably have just got more conditioned and more habitual thinking about what we're not than than young people mm. and, and so so for me for young people what seems to happen or what seems to be a natural consequence of this is when they start to and I the caveat to all this is it is completely natural we're not really teaching anybody anything. We're helping them to unlearn stuff that they thought was true. And that's the difference because it's so intuitive and simple when youngsters see it for themselves. And I've seen it in action. So we were working with this, we called them wellbeing ambassadors. And there was five youngsters in this group. And the deputy head had chosen, you know, youngsters that he knew might be a little bit of a challenge. He wanted to give them an opportunity <laughs> to be a well-being ambassador, but he kind of knew he was taking. He said, as he said, "I'm taking a bit of a gamble with some of these." Um, and we, you know, we we were working with them over a, just a, over three weeks, and we had them for a, I don't know an hour and a half over three weeks each session. And um, on the final session, we said, "Right, as well-being ambassadors." We are going, part of what we'd love you to do is is speak to some year threes um, or just hang out with some year threes. And the year threes are probably around sort of eight years old, that kind of seven or eight years old. And so we, we he selected five year three students to come and then be just buddy up with these well-being ambassadors, as, we, as we'd called them. And we, we just thought we're just going to make sure the safest that we, we, we create, create a safe space and supervise it, but we're not going to direct it. This is, this is them being intuitive. And here's what happened. And this is why I say it's so natural is there was a mixture of boys and girls who are wellbeing ambassadors. And there was a mixture of boys and girls who were the, the, the people that the year three is coming to see them. And we buddied them all up and they all, did different things. Some went off into the playground and started playing. Some did some coloring or they made some stuff. You had uh, one of the, the, the young lads who was a well-being ambassador just sat on the bench having a chat with uh, this young girl that was with him. Another young lad who was a well-being ambassador started doing crazy dance, dances on the playground with another young girl who was, he was with. Somebody else was, um, you know, creating, just drawing in pictures and it was like every single one of them intuitively shifted 
to provide the support that they felt that young, other young person needed. And I'm not talking about interventions of, of, of mental health issues. I'm talking about the very common natural connection that we are hardwired for as human beings to hang out with other people in a healthy environment. And they kind of intuitively knew what each individual youngster needed. We didn't have to direct it at all. And I just, I'm blown away with that because I just see it's, I think we make it really complicated as adults thinking that we need to kind of look after young people and teach them how to be empathetic and resilient and teach them how to connect and have conversations. I just see that so differently. And it's my experience with the young people I've been with, it's almost like it's, it's still bursting to come out. It still hasn't been covered over yet. And when we provide the right environment, that's what naturally emerges. And I don't think it's actually that complicated at all. I think we've made life much more complicated than it is. I just love that because what's that really speaking to is there is an intelligence. There's an intelligence there that, that we can't see, but is always present as it is in nature. Right. So um, <clears throat> I was watching a video the other day. And there's a fish in the sea. It doesn't know that it's doing it, but innately and intuitively does it. So he creates these incredible patterns in the, in the, in the, sand bed like incredible i mean we're talking like mandala type designs and uh to catch you know to to mate and um takes seven days apparently um for his creation to 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 work um from from idea to concept to finish mind-blowing grains of sand pushing them grains of sand and like the precision of the design at the end of it is just beyond anything that you could have ever have conceived i mean that you think that must have been like you know um designed by uh, sort of sketched out beforehand and but no i mean it's just the actual lines the um the mirroring of each side, the, the the precision of the design. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Small little guppa fish at the bottom of the ocean. And you're like, what? And so when you were sharing that with me, it just so reminded me of that, that already exists in nature. We're no different. Like we have this capacity, like in in, in the, you know, you see it with animals and so forth, other animals and, you know, safari and, and how they respond to their environment naturally. And uh, when you were sharing that with me, I was like, yeah, that's just exactly the same. They're just, mm-hmm. They were just responding to their environment naturally, like without personal thinking. It was just, yeah, it just made sense. Yes. And that, and that in essence is, I think, you know, that's, that's my ultimate vision is that we provide a space that that can naturally happen for our young people. And because that is such a nourishing, natural space that youngsters will flourish. And for them to realize that, like that, 
that's such a gift. Like I'm getting emotional about it. It's such a gift. You know, as a teenager who spent a lot of time in, in what could be considered depression and believing that the suicidal thoughts that I had were real and that it just didn't even know that, that, that this was even available. And to be pointed in that direction and say, hey, um, you know, you're not that, you're not that thinking, you're not what you think, you are, you are the resilience and made of it. That is just such a beautiful gift. Because mm. um, then it is a ripple effect, as you were saying. That. It, it, it is a ripple effect, and and you know, I my dream is that I mean, we we do a lot of work in schools because schools are often the place where young people go. Is you know that is the one place they go, and I would love it that we didn't actually have conversations about well being, and we didn't have to run well being training at schools because it was just part of the fabric of of school. So the math teacher would be pointing to your well-being as a child and the English teacher would and the geography teacher. And it wasn't like you had to teach it as a separate thing. It was like, no, we all understand this. Yes, yeah, part of the day-to-day. Like we don't- it's just a culture. It's just, it's just part of the language of what it was to be at school. And that's what I would love. But you know something else that I'm hearing from this, and I think that that I think the uh, this is also true. You know, like I don't know, Liz, did you ever have teachers at school that just oozed it that you felt really connected to, and there were other teachers that you were just like, oh my god, I hate the subject. This is awful. This is horrible. This is like, ah! but there were just some teachers that that for me personally just oozed that 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 sort of sense of well being, and it and it was felt. Um, and somehow their class always excelled. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not like we did the subject or they talked about it. It was just that they were in that felt experience of resilience most of the time. And it does something to be around someone like that for all of us. We know that uh, whether it's a teacher or a loved one or a friend is that we, it does something for us when somebody is in well-being and sees our well-being. Mm. I mean, ultimately, there is nothing but well-being, and then we create an illusion that there isn't, which is, <laughs> which is, which is, which is, the, which is the opposite, isn't it? Though it's the opposite from what we're taught, which is, oh, we 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 live in a in strife and anxiety and worry, and we need to somehow go on a a hunt for for well-being because otherwise we're we're doomed. And it's a very different take on it. So yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, and also like th- those those feelings of anxiety and depression and all that. There's nothing wrong with them. There's actually it's just actually that's even part of our well being. It is it is the well being too. Like it's called being human. Yeah, it is. It is <laughs> you know, I, my takeaway too is to um, that there is so much learning in not seeing something clearly as well. Like there's so much learning in, in overlooking our psychological system um, that even that has value. I often get my biggest learning and biggest insights and biggest kick when, I, when I'm in that, that, that those, those what can be sort of thought storms or what have you. And um, 
Yeah. They're also part of that well, you know, when you when you break a leg, it's got some healing to do, right? <laughs> As opposed to when you just scrape yourself. It's it's part of the same system, but ones take longer to heal, you know, and others need more rest. Um yeah. But at the end of it, it's still part of that same system. Well, Liz, this has been, I don't know if you've noticed, but I got very excited. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love the project that you're into. It's so fresh and so unique. So, uh, yeah, I guess if anybody wants to contact you, reach out. um, How can they do that? Best way is to go on to our website, innercompassguide.com, innercompassguide.com. And you can email me through the website um, or you can email me liz at inacompassguide.com. I'll get the email there too. And I'm on Facebook. Um, we've got a page in a compass guide on Facebook, on Twitter in a compass guide, Liz, um, and on Instagram and LinkedIn. So I think you can find me. You can find <laughs> everywhere. Um, anyway we'll put the links in the in the in the show notes anyway so people can access you and reach out to you and so forth and so on um because i love this experiment i mean it's i you know as you were speaking i was like oh wow you know showing how other people could could do this too that would be awesome like Mm -hmm. from inside i'd be like oh how did she even get to do this um yeah so thank you it's been a really refreshing conversation Oh, Marina, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as uh, I did and as much as Liz did. (laughs) And until the next time, bye for now. And there we have it, another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. And if you'd like a more personalized touch to live a stress-free life, then why not find out more about The Joy of Being Retreat, an intimate four-day profound experience at a luxury venue in Javier, Spain, where you get to experience your inner calm and peace of mind by slowing down and making space. To find out more, email me at marina marinapearson.com with Joy of Being Retreat in the title. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? So until next week's episode... Remember, you are the joy you seek.